0: scripture and diagram prints that you can get upon request following the sermon here this morning. Jesus made a declaration in John 14, verse 3. He said, I will come again. An important part of God's redemptive plan is the fact that Christ is going to return to this earth one day. Not only did Christ exclaim, this fact, but the apostles taught it throughout the Word of God, and even the angels stated that Christ would come again, Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. And I think it's mostly agreed among that Christ is going to come again. But the uh, the question is, what is He going to do when He comes? Since this worldwide pandemic and the All the hurricanes and fires on the west coast of our country and natural disasters that we've had, this has been under discussion a lot by religious people. It's on people's mind. This is a requested subject that we're covering today because members of our congregation have this on their mind. They're talking about the end times. And so we want to look to God's word and we want to determine what's going to happen when Christ comes again. There's two distinct ideas that are being promoted in the world today. One is a future kingdom that when Christ comes again, he's going to sit on an earthly throne in the city of Jerusalem and reign for a thousand years. The other idea is that we have a present kingdom, a kingdom already in existence, and when Christ comes again, he's going to deliver that kingdom back to God. Anytime we have a difference of ideas, of doctrines, of opinions, of beliefs. The way that we rectify these differences is by going to God's Word. First John four, verse one, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God, for there are many false prophets in the world. John didn't say it there could be false prophets or false doctrines, but he said they are there. And so when you hear any idea that is being promoted as from the Bible, the thing that we have to do is be like the Bereans. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they received the word with a readiness of mind and then they went to the scriptures to prove whether those things were so. And so when it comes to the doctrine of end times, of a rapture, of a thousand year reign of Christ, we need to go to God's word and we need to see what God's word says about it. In 1973, there was a book published, and there were 28 million copies of this book sold. It was called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. There was a film that was produced, and Orson Orson Welles narrated this film in 1979. And the idea was put forward in this book of a rapture and a thousand-year reign of Christ. In the year 2000, the Left Behind series became very popular. 16 different books written about end times, supposedly connected back to scriptural teaching. There were five movies that have already been produced, and from what research I could do, they plan to have six to eight future movies about this. And this is what it's all about regarding the end times, things that's going to happen yet in our future. We need to look at that doctrine versus the doctrine that the church is the kingdom. The kingdom has already been established. We are enjoying the blessings of being in the kingdom today as a part of being members of the church of Christ. We're going to look at that. We're going to see which is the most consistent with the whole Bible. Premillennialism is a long word that they use for this thousand-year reign, and it it means before millennial, a number one thousand, before one thousand, and an ism is a belief. And this simply means that we're in a time before the kingdom's going to be established for a thousand years. The church that Christ built is not considered by this theory to be the kingdom. And so there's a wide variance of difference in the way that these things are interpreted. So this morning, to begin with, I want to give an overview. There's a lot of material. We could spend many many sermons discussing all of the material but our purpose today is look to an overview of this idea of the future kingdom and then we're going to look at an overview of, of the the belief of a present kingdom and then we're going to line up scriptures beside each one and determine which one is consistent with God's word we see we have a timeline here of the future kingdom and it bel- begins on the left side with a rapture, and on the right side, it ends in eternity, and we see as we go off the screen to the right, we can imagine the expanses of eternity, but this timeline for purposes of the future kingdom is all yet to happen, and the discussion that we hear a lot... To the Greek of 1 Thessalonians 4 17 that talks about those being caught up to meet Christ in the air and so that's where that word comes from it's never used in scripture but the idea is all of a sudden all of the church both dead and alive is going to be drawn into heaven with Christ There's not gonna be any warning. It's not gonna be something we see. It's all gonna be a secretive thing. And in that rapture, we find that there's going to be a judgment of the righteous in heaven. And the righteous are going to be in heaven with Christ. Back on earth, there's going to be a great tribulation. And most of the writing on this says there will be two, three and a half year periods. This is going to be a very troubled time. There's going to be 144,000, which is a, a number brought out of Scripture. There's going to be that many preachers ordained, and they're going to be preaching the gospel, and there's going to be a lot of people obey the gospel, but there's going to be a lot of trouble. This is going to end with the Battle of Armageddon at the end of these seven years. And then Christ is going to come to this earth. We said, he said, I'm coming back. And this is the idea with a future kingdom. At this point in time, he will return. At that point, there will be a resurrection of Old Testament and tribulation saints. Remember, no evil people have been resurrected to this point in time. That's going to happen later. But all of the righteous are going to sit with Christ and reign over his kingdom. That kingdom will will be established with Christ on earth. He will be seated in the temple in Jerusalem, and he will have armies that wipes out all of his enemies all around the world. This will be a period where Satan is bound. So it's stated by this theory that it will be perfect peace on the earth. There will be no sin. There will be no problems for a thousand-year period of time. At the end of this time, Christ will ascend a second time. Satan will be loosed for a little season. Christ is in heaven. He's going to return a third time. And then there will be a resurrection of the wicked. There will be a judgment called the great white throne judgment. And at that time, people will enter into eternity. I will tell you that the basis of this, by reading these ideas and and theories, is found mostly in the book of Re- or the chapter of Revelations 20. They take a few verses from Matthew chapter 24, a few verses from Luke 19, that are not in the
1: context of of the five.
0: at it in context, we can be unified in the teachings that we find in God's Word. So we want to look at the context of Revelations first. This is found in the first three verses, as it should be. We have the context, who was writing John the Revelator, John the Apostle wrote this. We have who he was writing to, we have the purpose for which it was written, and we have the method in which it was written, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass.
1: And then he, and he was signified by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ in all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Okay, we always wrote the book. It was verse 1 tells us. It was given unto the servants, those that were a part of the church that Christ filled. At this time, they were under severe persecution. And the book of Revelations, and the theme of it, is the fact that if you need to remain diligent and persevere through this persecution, and you will be victorious. That Christ will be victorious. Amen. That's, that's the purpose for which the book was written. We have a couple of different time statements in these three verses. John said this was going to be about things which must shortly come to pass, and then that's stated again in verse three for the time of the, day. the Things that were shortly come to pass, the things that were going to start right then. Very quickly, not only that, we find that it built with the word in science. The Greek words slave, is the word yeah. sure. in suspicion, and that's what's translated in English here, is significant. In other words, it was written in It was written in a way that those early Christians, under persecution, could understand the message. But the enemies of the cross did not understand it. it. So that's
0: why we purpose that it be written in signs. We make a mistake when we take the book of Revelations and we try to string it out over two or 3,000 years and come to specific things that correlate with what's happening today. The book of Revelations is like other books of the Bible in that it has a specific context that applies. The book of Romans was written to the Christians in Rome, and Paul was addressing specific things that they were dealing with. In principle, we take that book and we apply it to us today because it applies in principle. The book of Revelations differs in that it's figurative language This verse here says that we need to read it, verse 3. We'll be blessed when we read it. But it's not about forecasting or prophesying specific things that's going to to happen thousands of years later. These things have already happened. We can take the principles of revelations and we can apply them to a lot of things
1: that's, that's happening in our world. up with a
0: problem. If we start with a false premise, no matter how much we build in this idea of premillennialism, we're gonna shorten that word to premill as we talk about it going forward. We want to look at Revelations chapter 20 and read these seven verses together. As I said, most of what we read in these books and we see in the movies are based on this passage of Scripture. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Christ, for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power but they shall be a lot of these thoughts came from. But in a way,
1: we were pre
0: resurrected to walk a new life. When we have that resurrection, we're not subject to the second death which is condemnation in the lake of fire. These things are defined for us other places in Scripture. And so when we read this, if we're aware of other passages that help us define this and look at it in a spiritual sense, then we're not going to take these things literal. We're not going to take a thousand years as being a literal period of time because we read in other places in the Bible where it's used figuratively to stand for a long period of time. And we could dissect this whole passage. We're going to come back to it toward the end of our lesson this morning and point out a couple of more things. But the fact is, if we pre-program people with an agenda and then we take them to a passage, and that's the only passage we show them, we can convince them to believe any theory that we want to promote. We have to be careful. We need to try the spirits and see whether they are of God. So let's compare a timeline a similar illustration, except this one starts in Acts chapter 1, the ascension of Christ. We read there that he went up into the clouds and disappeared. We know that he went to heaven to be at the right hand of God. This is going to start with his ascension. It's going to end with eternity in the same way that the diagram does on top. Acts 1, verse 9, we have the account of Christ's ascension. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is... A little later in the context where the angel said, what are you looking at? Christ is going to come back in the same way that he left. Christ is in heaven presently. He is sitting at the right hand of God. He is our advocate, our mediator. We are able to pray and take that sweet hour of prayer that we sang about that touches us because we have that privilege, it's because Christ is in heaven reigning over his church and his kingdom. Christ asked the apostles to wait at Jerusalem, Acts 1 verse 4, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard from me, Acts chapter 2 Where the Spirit came on the apostles, we have the first gospel sermon, and we have the establishment of the church. This is a pivotal point in the redemptive plan of God. The Bible lifts the church up as being an eternal institution that exhibits the manifold wisdom of God. Ephesians 3. The idea of Christ came and he tried to establish a kingdom, but the Jews rejected it, and so he did the church as a substitute, which is taught by the future kingdom ideology. That lowers the value of the church, to say that it was a substitute for something that men resisted God on, and and, and so God didn't do what he intended to do. That does not fit with all of the rest of It does. The institution that Christ died to purchase, Acts chapter 20. So the apostles waited, the Holy Spirit descended, just as it had been promised by Christ. We read in Acts 2, 2-4, to And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance." Holy Ghost baptism, something that Christ taught in the early days of His ministry, which He emphasized and said would come to them. He told them to wait there, and here we see that happening. The room was filled. A baptism is when you're covered up. They were covered up with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues. A miracle that showed that they were truly spokesmen of God. And then we have Peter opening the door to the kingdom, opening the door to the church. He began his gospel sermon, and he preached that. But Christ remained in heaven, you see, through all of this. The kingdom was established. He's there reigning over his kingdom at this time. Men and brethren, let me freely speak of you under the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried. One of the things about the prophecies, 2 Samuel 7, Daniel 2.44, other prophecies of the Old Testament, they showed the timing of the establishment of the kingdom to be during the time of the Roman Empire. 2 Samuel 7 says that David the patriarch would be in his grave. These are things that Peter mentioned as he's preaching this first gospel sermon, that Christ would sit on his throne, verse 30, by the right hand of God exalted, verse 33, verse 36, he would be both Lord and Christ. This is a kingdom sermon responding to prophecies of the Old Testament that said the kingdom would come at this time. All of this fits together if we look to this present kingdom as the correct doctrine of the scripture. Satan is bound during a long period of time. Those who are in the church and connected and intimate with Christ and God, Satan can't touch them. He's bound. We have that blessing as being members of the church. Sure, Satan can continue to tempt, He can continue to cause us problems. We're going to have storms in our life, a broken world. But from the standpoint of a spiritual stability, we have that within the church. And I believe that's what is taught. Christ will come again a second time. And let me tell you that nowhere in scriptures is a second ascension of Christ, a third coming of Christ, three judgments at different times, one at the rapture, one at the beginning of the kingdom, one at the end, you don't read about those things. When you read about a second coming of Christ, you read about only that. When Christ comes the second time, there's going to be a resurrection of everybody. It's going to be in a certain order. Those that are dead in the Lord are going to be resurrected first, and those that are alive and remain are going to meet Him in the air then every person of all ages is going to be resurrected, both the evil and the good. There's going to be a judgment of all people. Sinners will be condemned to the lake of fire and the saved will be sent to heaven. This is a contrast between present kingdom and future kingdom. I mentioned Old Testament prophecy and we're not gonna spend time there this morning. But 2 Samuel 7, Daniel 2, many more kingdom passages say that this kingdom would are during a time that David was in the grave. That fits perfectly with the idea of present kingdom, but it does not with the future kingdom. So what about the New Testament teaching concerning the kingdom? John the Baptist came preaching in Matthew chapter 3, and he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ came along a little bit later in Mark 1, and he said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's kind of like the verses we read in Revelations 1 and 1. You know, something's at hand. It's not two or 3,000 years in the future. Look at these words of Christ in Mark 9 and verse 1. Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. So we start reading these straightforward verses straight from the mouth of Christ. And he's saying some of you that I'm speaking to in your lifetime will see the kingdom come with power. So what does that mean? Either there's someone that's over 2,000 years old today or that kingdom came just as our Lord promised that it would come. Matthew 16, 18, and 19, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Christ says, I'm going to build my church in the future. He said, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys. Who opened the church through the first gospel sermon? We've already saw that was Peter. He preached in Acts 2, and Christians, sinners became Christians that day, became part of the body of Christ. Look at these two words being used as synonyms. Verse 18, Christ refers to this institution as the church. And then in verse 19, he refers to it as the kingdom. They're the same thing. In fact, there's other terms in in the Bible that refer to this same precious thing that Christ died to purchase. The church, the kingdom, the house of God, and the body. Every one of these, when we read about them in the New Testament or even in Old Testament prophecy, they're talking about the same thing. We can't have the church or we can't have the kingdom without also having the church or we can't have the kingdom without having the family of God, the house of God, or being in the body of the institution that Christ died and purchased. I want you to really notice this because it's very important.
1: Because the kingdom...
0: and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The church came into existence that day because you can't be a member of something that doesn't exist. But not only that, look at this passage, Colossians 1, verse 13. This is Paul writing around A.D. 60 or 62. Thirty years after Acts 2 And what does Paul say? Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. I ask the question again, how can you be a member of something that does not exist, that is only going to happen at a future date when Christ comes again? These verses will not fit the top diagram. They fit perfectly with the bottom one. The man who wrote Revelations 20 that supposedly is a basis for pre what did he say in chapter 1 and verse number 7? I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. John himself acknowledged there was already a kingdom in existence that he was a member of and that these people that he was writing to we're already a part of. These verses totally contradict the idea that this kingdom's going to come somewhere in the future. What about the nature of the kingdom that we read about in the New Testament? Christ said, the kingdom of God is within you, Luke 17. He never ever said that he was going to establish an earthly kingdom with swords and soldiers and defeat enemies in a physical way. What did he say to Pilate when he was standing before Pilate during his trial? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. There's no plainer statements than these statements that Christ gave. He said, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. Ephesians 6, verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against spiritual evil, powers and rulers of darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We see as we begin to look at these verses what we're finding. What about the New Testament teachings about Christ's kingship? We mentioned that through the present kingdom doctrine that when Christ comes again, he's going to deliver the kingdom back to God. Is that what this verse says? Look at it. Read it. Read the context. And see if that's what the verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 24 will say. What about the parable that Christ gave in Luke 19 about a certain nobleman who had a vineyard, and he went away to a far country, and he left certain people in charge while he was gone. And then he came back, and he took reckoning. A parable about Christ ascending into heaven, ruling over a kingdom, and then coming back at his second coming, and requiring those who he left behind to give an accounting of what they had done. Christ's second coming is a significant Bible event. I'm going to list about 20 to 30 different verses here, and we're not going to take time to read them. If you want to do that later, they'll be on the chart. You can take them and look at these. But these are verses about the second coming of Christ and what's going to happen. It's going to be the last day. It's going to be the day of the Lord. It's going to be a day of judgment. And it's going to be the resurrection. The last day. All of these verses give reference to it. John 5, 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Look at the time statement in this verse. The hour is coming when what's going to happen both the good and the dead are going to be resurrected. Do we have room to insert a seven-year period of time between the church saints and the Old Testament saints, and then a thousand-year period of time before the Old Testament saints are resurrected? We can't add to or take away from God's Word in that way. The day of the Lord... Spoken of is a singular day. It's going to happen in one day. The day of judgment. The resurrection. And here's all these verses. And folks, this is a body of New Testament scriptures that are are written in straightforward ways to help us understand the message of God. And can we take a theory from figurative language and contradict everyone Of these verses? All of these description points to the same day. A judgment will be at the end. The judgment will be at the last day. The coming of the Lord and the day of the Lord are the same. The judgment will be at his coming. The destruction of the earth will be at his.
1: happen on the last day. So what does
0: Revelations 20 mean? Notice how that the the pre-meal theory takes certain things and makes them literal and certain things figurative with really no rhyme or reason or consistency. Look at the key and the bottomless pit and the great chain. They say those things are not literal, those are spiritual things that are in this passage. But then they come to a thousand years and they make that literal. They make these things however they need to make them to fit this idea that they have. This word thousand years or phrase is used multiple times, as you have noticed. How is it used elsewhere in the Bible? Deuteronomy 7 and 9, God is going to keep mercy and love those that keep his commandments to a thousand years. Does that mean on a thousand and one on that year that God's no longer going to extend his mercy? It's not what that's talking about. It's describing a long period of time. Psalms 50 and 10, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Does the Lord lose possession on one thousand and one, one thousand and two? See, these things are not literal. They're used in a way to indicate a long period of time. Things that Revelations 20 must teach to prove premillennialism. The second coming of Christ. Did you notice that's not mentioned anywhere in that passage? A bodily resurrection of the saints.
1: Day that that's a
0: spiritual reference. For these people that were under persecution that needed encouragement, they were told, You're going to reign with Christ, persevere. You may lose your body, you may be destroyed, but your soul is going to reign with me throughout eternity, throughout the period of the church. Where does it mention a literal throne of David? If you listen to religion on radio or TV, or even from your neighbor, people are going to say Christ is going to go to Jerusalem. The Jews first have to recapture that area that's controlled by by the Palestinians, where the temple used to be, and that temple is going to be rebuilt, and Christ is going to go sit on that temple. My question is, where do these things come from? They're not found in this passage. Can we go to different places and cherry-pick ideas and just put them forward as a theory and understand what God has asked us to understand? I never read about Christ being on this earth after Acts chapter 1 when He ascended. Bible says He's coming in the clouds. There's going to be a trumpet sound, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's not going to be something secret. It's going to be something everybody knows about. And Christ is going to be in the clouds, and people are going to rise to meet Him. That's what the second coming of Christ is going to look like. And then the earth is going to be burned up. Second Peter, latter end of Revelation, tells us that all of this is going to be destroyed. It's not going to be enhanced. It's not going to be a different environment but it's going to be destroyed and we're going to face Christ on the day of judgment. What happens if we go to God's word and we play, we play games with it. Revelations 22, for I testify to every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Do we want to suffer the plagues that we read about in Revelations? then we don't need to be changing up things in God's Word. We don't need to be adding to. We don't need to be taking away from. A principle that has been taught from early in the Old Testament that we do not have the authority or the power to change up God's Word. The book of Revelations teaches the final victory of Christ and those that follow Him. Chapter 20 is a kingdom passage which speaks in figurative language of what what Christians already are enjoying in the church and have been from its beginning and by extension for us today. Do we want to minimize the value of the church? Take the gleam away from what Christ died to purchase? And we need to understand that the church is the kingdom. It's blessing us in ways that are beyond our imagination because we are able to be within the covenant relationship with God today. The pre theory also teaches that the Jews are God's chosen people today, that all the Jews of every nation are going to be called back when Christ comes and sets on his throne, and they're going to be continue to be the people of God. Is that what we read in the New Testament, that the old law was taken away? that a majority of the nation of Israel rejected Christ. They were destroyed in AD 70 in the city of Jerusalem because they did reject Christ. And today, those that obey Christ and are in Christ are God's chosen people, Galatians three twenty-eight and 29. And there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be in Christ, then are you
1: yourself to see Comply certainly
0: does. Future kingdom has very, very many problems. We should look forward to the coming of Christ. When Christ comes again, his people are gonna receive their reward. Something we should anticipate. Christ often said, watch and wait, pray and watch. Be ready, I'm coming again. Are you ready for Christ to come again? Is your life right with God? It needs to be. We don't know when time's gonna end, The things that we're seeing in our world today, they've been on the world before. There's been plagues, there's been hurricanes, there's been floods, there's been fires, there's been earthquakes. Regardless of what we're seeing around us, we need to be ready for Christ to come again. People that try to set the time that Christ is going to return, everyone that's tried that up until today has missed because their time came and went and nothing happened. Rather than trying to do that through God's Word, let's take it at face value. We're not going to know the day or the hour. And let's be working and let's be ready as the people of God. The pre-meal theory says if you miss the rapture, well, you'll have a second chance. There'll be a seven-year period of tribulation so, you know, if you miss the first time,
1: you'll be able to do it later..
0: And there's not going to be a second chance. And we're warned about that over and over and over again. Let's not let something like this lull us into thinking, well, we can make it right later that's not going to happen. Let's get ready today. We want to offer the invitation of the Lord to any that are here that understand the acts of obedience to the gospel and would like to be baptized into Jesus Christ and be a part of his family, his, his house, his body, a part of the church where you will receive those blessings. We want you to respond and take care of that today do not procrastinate if you're here this morning and you would seek the prayers of the congregation for strength or help we would encourage you also to take advantage of this opportunity if we can if the church can help you with anything come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation